Let us pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you uh, for your call in our lives and especially calling the Schneider family here. And we pray that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would speak to us today uh, through um, Matt and our conversation. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, Matt, your deepest, darkest sin. <laughs> um, yeah. So, Matt, uh, tell us, uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, things like that, your family. Uh, I'm originally from the San Francisco Bay Area in a town called Redwood City, which is a suburb sort of smack in the middle between San Francisco and San Jose. And the town motto is climate best by government test. And uh, the 1950s, I guess they got some Dutch company or, or the Dutch government, maybe, I guess, to do a, a climate test to, to say that it was the best climate in the world, I guess, to get people to make it a bedroom community for San Francisco um, because the climate in San Francisco is terrible. I, I also lived there for 10 years. Um, and, uh, um, but anyway, that's where I'm from. My wife, Holly, who's sitting there. Um, and actually, as a matter of fact, her brother, sorry, Tyler, her brother, Tyler, is here. And they're both from Washington, D.C. Um, and Holly and I uh, have two lovely daughters, Zoe and Eden, who are four and two. And um, do you want me to keep going? I can you know, keep going. Can y'all hear in the back? Trent, you've got pretty good ears. Can you hear? Okay. Everybody can hear in the back? I'm worried about Louise, your husband. No, okay. Here, move your test, mic up test. a little bit, a little bit closer. It's not quite catching. Okay. You might actually have to hold it. I told you that would happen. Test, test. You can hear yeah, me. Yeah, that's better. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so you grew up in uh, what was the name of the town again? Redwood City. Redwood City. There are very City. few redwood yeah. trees because I cut them all down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> best government test. That, well, the there's one in front of City Hall though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Let's stay on track. Uh, <laughs> the uh, so growing up, I mean, growing up in the suburbs of San Francisco. Did you grow up in the church, or what was your your earliest recollection of interacting with the Christian faith? Yeah, I, I did not. I was not raised in a churched family. Um, earliest recollection, you know, friends of mine. The earliest recollection were Roman Catholic friends of mine having first communion, and it was a big to do. And I thought that, that sounds like fun. They got a lot of presents, and I was jealous. <laughs> Um, and uh, in that part of California, you know, what you've heard is somewhat true. <laughs> um, you know, uh, there are people of faith there, believe it or not. And um, a lot of Roman Catholics and a lot of people who are kind of like mega churchy, not always mega church, but that vibe. You know, there was one in, in my hometown and very little in between. You know, the mainline denominations are, are really small. The Episcopal Church in my hometown barely exists. Um, but uh, my father was raised Roman Catholic in a very kind of medieval Roman Catholicism, and that really um, scared him away from the church and moved from Minnesota to California in the 1960s. That says uh, something. Yeah. And so, <laughs> um, you know, and so that's, that was my father, and he was very anti, and uh, my mother was not raised in a church home, so that was my upbringing. But there was always something kind of nagging at me. You know, I remember when I was a little kid and I'd be in a pinch and I would, believe it or not, I would pray. <laughs> I don't know to what. I was in desperation, you know. Uh, Please, God, help me kind of thing. And, um, yeah, so I don't, you know, that was probably the Holy Spirit at work. Um, uh, 
probably Hollywood teaching me to to pray in desperation, um, and then that happened. Um, yeah, so did not come to the church until adulthood. Yeah, but you you stayed in the Bay Area and uh, got your undergraduate and a master's degree in mm-hmm. English. Yeah, I went to a school called San Francisco State University, which, if you can imagine UAB without a med school, it's a lot like that. You know, um, state school, it's a good school, um, uh, somewhat inner city. And I uh, got my bachelor's there and then uh, lived in France for a little bit and then came back and got a master's uh, in teaching English, focusing on teaching writing. And because I had become sort of furniture at San Francisco State, they gave me a job. And um, I was a lecturer there for a little bit before moving to the East Coast and um, getting in the ministry. So basically, I mean, it's pretty remarkable. You grew up in the Bay Area, went to college and post-grad in the Bay Area, and then you spent some time in France, basically where God doesn't live, like as as where you were. I mean, just basically... Uh, and and yeah. yet, uh, the fact of the matter is, God right. found you. Yeah. Uh, there's nowhere you can go. And right. so, tell us, in, in, growing up like that, how how you came to faith? Uh, you know, again, like there was always some sort of nagging and curiosity. And the the typical thing in that sort of upbringing is to explore Eastern spirituality, or to say something like, "I'm spiritual but not religious." And I've probably done both at different points. Um, uh, but the strange, counterintuitive, paradoxical thing was that Christianity was always on my radar screen. Um, you know, I'd find myself randomly in a church, um, you know, in, in uh, times of need, uh, usually a weekday. Episcopal churches are often open. And so when living in San Francisco, I'd either end up there or maybe a Roman Catholic church and just sitting there. Um, and, and reading, too. I read a lot, um, trying to find the answers, you know. Um, what were you reading? Um, the Bible, um, a little bit. Uh, I got hung up around Leviticus. Um, so, I, so then I dabbled with C.S. Lewis. <laughs> you know, I'd go to Barnes & Noble and go to the Christian uh, section, uh, which was strange, you know. Again, there's that, that pulling. You know, I'd go there for an SAT book or something, and uh, I'd pick up you know, some book in the Christian section. Um, and, and, and this was years and years and years and years and, uh, of exploration, probably starting in college. And during that time, I met Holly a different time I went to France. Uh, the time I told you about, I was living there for a year, but studied uh, another time earlier at a summer language institute and met my wife, who was a, a Christian, a professed Christian. Um, and uh, she was the first Christian I felt like I could talk to and not feel judged or alienated, um, that we could just talk, and she would answer my questions to the best of her ability and um, say what these things meant for her. Um, And then she was in my life for about seven years before we became a couple and and talking about faith throughout that time. So other than being really slow, um, (laughs) um, maybe we should just have Holly up here. Have a seat, Matt. Um, uh, Tell me, um, so... But along the way, what was it, it sounds to me like you had um, some interest or at least some exposure to Roman Catholicism and just at least an aesthetic experience with the Episcopal Church. Was there anything particular, like, why are you an Episcopalian? Yeah, I, um, well, a lot does have to do with Holly. She was raised in the Episcopal Church. She went to the National Cathedral School. 
uh, went to an Episcopal church in Washington, D.C. When I moved out to D.C., I had very limited exposure to the Episcopal church in San Francisco. Um, We, uh, one Sunday for Father's Day, went to her father's church in Chevy Chase, Maryland. I said, this will make it easy, you know, if we go to church with him and then go to brunch uh, right afterwards. And I just was kind of blown away. It was an aesthetic experience at first. You know, the choir, it was a lot like what we just experienced at 9 and what you'll experience at 11. Uh, it's not its not Anglo-Catholicism, but it's very traditional, you know. Um, and uh, my heart, I think, was longing for something vertical. The churches that I was going to was more stripped, stripped down. And they were working, but this was, um, it sort of... Uh, it sealed the deal, you know, and I said, so I said to Holly, can we come back next Sunday and next Sunday? And, and we kept coming back and made that our church. And who, who was the rector at All Saints? When we first got there was a man named Al Zadig, who's now in um, uh, Charleston. Uh, we had an interim rector. Uh, assist, the assisting rector became the acting rector, and that was Marsha Wilkinson, who used to be here. And then Paul Zoll became the, the rector uh, shortly thereafter. It's a conspiracy. It is a conspiracy. <laughs> so it's not the South Carolina thing. I know you're all thinking. <laughs> this Another guy coming from South Carolina. Actually, we have a lot of connections in Chevy Chase, Maryland, uh, to this parish. And um, so, but along, along the way, uh, is there a particular moment in time where you said, goodness, I'm, I'm a Christian? Yeah. Uh, you know, um, I, I talked about how I was in graduate school. What happened was I got I got in a lot of trouble. Here, here, let's back up to high school. Please do. Uh, I got in a, <laughs> I once gave a, 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 I was talking in a sermon and I meant to say I meant to say this. I meant to say when I was 14 I got arrested. The thing I said as an aside was what I didn't mean to say off the cuff was and you did too, and everybody laughed. <laughs> so when I was 14 I got arrested um, and uh, got in trouble for stealing a car. And the way I turned my life around was to pour myself into academics. Um, I, uh, I didn't want to be a juvenile delinquent, so I, I did really well in school. The rest of my high school and did well in college and in graduate school. And that's where I was uh, pouring my life into and got accepted to a Ph.D. program. And um, that was, you know, there, I believe there are no atheists because um, all of us have idols. And my idol was academia, you know. Um, I was in a great track with a Ph.D., with an excellent advisor, you know. Um, worldly speaking, it couldn't be better by your mid-20s if you're an academic. And yet I felt depressed. Um, it was the, the appetite was larger and larger, you know. If I spoke at a conference, I wanted to speak at the next conference. If um, I helped an academic publish something, I wanted to publish my own thing. Uh, And so I was getting kind of depressed and confused, and I was still exploring Christianity, and Christianity actually answered my questions. Um, It it, it answered the human need and longing. It acknowledged things like depression that spiritual but not religious doesn't. You know, a lot of people often talk to me about, I'll say I'm a priest, and they go, well, I'm really into breathing. Um, um, or or something like that, you know, and breathing will help you for 10 minutes, um, and and it has me, Um, but Christianity met me in uh, in my deepest suffering, 
of, uh, you know, why isn't the academic route, you know, feeding me in the way that I, I thought it would, and, and other depressions too. And so, uh, Barnes & Noble again, in the Christian spirituality section, I picked up a book called The Gospel According to Peanuts, um, like Charles Schultz's uh, Peanuts. And at the time, I was teaching a literature course on comic books, uh, which was excellent. I couldn't believe I put in the proposal and they let me teach this class. <laughs> Um, so I saw the gospel according to Peanuts, and I said, this is right on my alley, and it was. It spoke my language. Um, and I, I went across the street to a cafe, and I, the book is like 150 pages. I read it all in one sitting, several hours. And that was like, if you can, if you can pinpoint a conversion experience, that, that was it. Um, that book really did address um, you know, something like the wages of sin, um, and the answer in Jesus Christ through parables of Lucy and Linus and Snoopy and Charlie Brown. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, so uh, you you read you read this book. God worked through it, of course. I mean, just a series of events of God bringing you to that place, and then you become a Christian. And uh, was that sort of the the green light for you and Holly at that point, where she was like. Great. Let's let's yeah. Let's and it was because we were really you know we had been a, a couple for several months at that point, and uh, every time she would go to church, she'd want to break up with me. Um, <laughs> you know because I, I wasn't there, um, and you know I understand now as a really committed, professed Christian, like I I just couldn't imagine not being married to someone who who shares my faith, and that's how she felt. Um, I didn't tell her at the time. I didn't want her to think I was doing this for her, and I wasn't. You know, I mean, this was a real, this was the real deal. Um, and so I had that experience, but I didn't tell anybody right away. Um, and I was living on the West Coast still, and we had this long-distance thing, and I was going back and forth. Uh, I, I was accepted to the Ph.D. program. I deferred it for a year because I was, I didn't quite know what I wanted to do, but that was that moment started something like a, a green light and that signing his name on the dotted line, Christian. Um, the thing that was really helpful is because I deferred the Ph.D. program, I moved to Washington, D.C. to be closer to Holly because I was in love with her. But that really allowed me to spread my wings as a Christian. Um, you know, being around my old haunts and friends and family made it difficult to, to say, you know, hey, hey, guys, I'm a Christian. I, when I did, they thought I was crazy. Um, you know, um, well, he's gone off his rocker, or this is just a phase. <laughs> um, but in D.C., I was a Christian. And any, the first time anybody met me, you know, I could say that um, with full confidence. So you began, at what point did you begin to discern a call to, min- to ordain ministry? Shortly thereafter. Um, you know, I was confused about the academic tra- track, like I said. And so I said to Holly, I didn't say, uh, I, I was starting to have, I would go to church and see the minister up there, and I thought, I could do that. Um, <laughs> that, that. That's fundamentally what I was doing. I that's mean, the only, t- only place where this is, that's an inside joke, is here when you say. <laughs> you know, I, I was teaching to a classroom of students just like you all are sitting. You know, it's like a basilica setup like this, you know. I mean... Uh, and I had office hours, which looks a lot like pastoral care with college students. Um, 
you know, we'd end up talking about their, their uh, you know, their part-time jobs and their ex-boyfriends more than their papers when they would come to my office hours. And so it was like pastoral intervention. And so when I went to church, I thought, you know, this is a lot like what I'm doing, but the subject matter is more important. Uh, this subject matter completely changed my life. Um, I'd rather teach that. And now there are a lot of noble English professors. Some of you might be them, and that's great. Um, I, you know, um, but for me, I just thought, golly, I can't, I can't keep teach writing. I need to share this news. Um, and so I had those thoughts and thought they were naive, but I turned to Holly one day, and all I said was, I'm having second thoughts about the Ph.D. And she said, I always thought you'd make a great minister. Um, and that confused me even more. Um, so I had to, I had to like pull back and, uh, and just sort of um, let that wash over me. And uh, when I moved to D.C., I was looking for a job, and what I knew were academic environments. So I was looking um, at all the, the many colleges and universities there. And Georgetown University was hiring for their Protestant chaplaincy a program coordinator who's like a, an administrator, Make sure that things happen, you know, not a chaplain position, um, but in ministry. And I applied on a whim past the deadline thinking they'd never hire me. And I was honest with them that, you know, I was a new Christian and they hired me. And the reason they hired me is they said they had a lot of applicants, but I was the only one when I met with the students, the students liked. And I think a lot of that had to, had to do with my, my work with college students. And so um, that helped discernment, and also when I finally proposed uh, to Holly and we were going through the engagement process, Paul Zoll uh, married us, and he did the, the, the counseling. And he said, so, like, what's next for you guys? Like, imagine, you know, in five years, where will you be? And, and we said, you know, we don't know. We're trying to figure out the whole ministry thing. Um, what does that entail um, in terms of ordained ministry being a possibility? And he said, oh, yes. I saw that from the first moment I met you. <laughs> and uh, so he just, he just fast-tracked the process, got me in touch with the bishop, and, and it went from there. Yeah. And um, at, at that point, so you, um, so Holly clearly on board at this point with, with ordained ministry. If, if not, it's a little late. And, um, and, and you go off, you went, you went to Yale. Yeah. And tell me about, uh, what was it about Yale that drew y'all there? You know, the, the, uh, the sort of, the kind of uh, seminary a lot of people in our circles go to are like Neshota House and Trinity. And, of course, I, um, I considered those. Um, uh, but because Holly was uh, actually the youth minister at our church, our bishop said, I'd like you to consider uh, Virginia so that Holly could stay on staff. Uh, while I go to seminary, but we didn't like that idea um, because we kind of wanted to, to leave. Um, and wait a minute, what, what's your bishop's name? Bishop Salmon had oversight of. Uh, uh, it's an incestuous circle. We'd, I'd rather call it a small pond. Yeah. <laughs> he he. Um, uh, he, you know, he, he wanted us to consider a VTS just for convenience sake, but we kind of, we wanted to have a seminary experience. Holly was from D.C., um, and Yale came up, um, and we went and visited, and, and part of the reason why I really liked Yale is I was worried about Holly, who's a city person, the biggest extrovert in the world, um, and uh, I was imagining Neshota, Wisconsin, and we wouldn't finish seminary. 
Um, and, um, and similarly with, with Ambridge perhaps, uh, but Yale was in New Haven, it's a very urban environment. There was, a, there was an artistic community. I thought this would be great for her. And I just loved the, the fact that it was attached to a university. You know, I took philosophy or religion classes downtown with undergrads and I got involved with the, the university life. And I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, what's in my bloodstream, the academic stuff, working at Georgetown University, you know, I um, got involved with, uh, you know, some men's clubs and stuff like that while there. And, uh, and I met Stephen McCarthy, who's our curate. And so there he is back there. You know, thank, thank God um, for Yale for the two of us, you know. Um, <laughs> uh, it, was, it was a great experience, and I would, I would do it again if I were going to go to seminary. And so uh, looking for a real urbane environment, y'all went from there to Georgetown, South Carolina. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then ratcheted up a little bit and went to Hilton Head. Yeah. But now, I mean, along the way, y'all had to, where, where, were, the, where were your daughters born? Uh, Eden was born in New Haven, Connecticut while in seminary. And Zoe was born in Merle's Inlet, South Carolina. Waccamaw. Yeah, Waccamaw Memorial. Uh, and so two-thirds of the time we were in seminary, my wife was with child. Um, so the people will remember her yeah. <laughs> for that. Um, yeah, you know, um, we felt God's call to, to those places in South Carolina and it worked for those times. Uh, um, we, we do appreciate Birmingham much more for the urban setting and larger city. Um, so happy to be here. I mean, the restaurants are amazing and... Um, and, uh, you know, I live next to the police department. It's comforting to hear the sirens. I don't know why. <laughs> just, you know, I, le- I go to New York City, and I just, it feeds my soul. I, um, and I'm getting a little bit of the, uh, surprisingly in Homewood. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so um, what, um, when, uh, when you and I started to talk, um, I'm just going to go ahead and tell people how this all went down. Um, uh, when uh, I had to replace me, uh, it was it was a fun little task, and uh, Paul's all said, uh, you know, Paul's all answers questions that are never asked, and he came into my office during Lent and he said, now the hardest thing you're going to have is is hiring new people, and I said, well, thanks, and then uh, but along the way Matt's name came up because of our relationship through Mockingbird, and I actually didn't know Matt and Holly that well, I just knew of them and had met them maybe once or twice, and being in South Carolina together, um, but. Um, Frank retired, and um, I talked to Jane, and she said, any work that you could give Frank would be really appreciated. Uh, and so uh, I hired Frank Limehouse as a headhunter, basically. Uh, and uh, I, didn't, I didn't have him interview any of the curate candidates because there would have been lots of crying and <laughs> letters, uh, things of that nature. Uh, but I did put – I put – the the canon candidates through through the ringer with Frank and so you met with Frank yeah we met at a Fats Burgers in Orangeburg South Carolina <laughs> everybody's shocked um, um and um uh, <laughs> I shouldn't say this but Frank did come I was like well how'd it go he goes he has a really pretty wife and I said yes uh, he does uh, <clears throat> how'd it go uh, but uh, so uh, Frank Frank was over the moon about she was like hire him hire him and uh, and I talked to uh, to to Paul uh, Zoll about you and this is the first time you're hearing some of this yeah. um, uh, I mean 
typical of Paul, he talked a whole lot about Holly and not a lot about you. And he's like, he's like, whatever happens with Matt, at least you'll have her. I'd be jobless and homeless if weren't yeah. So that's that's kind of how you get. And you were, um, we were like ships in the night. You were kind of landing in Hilton Head as I was yeah. leaving Beaufort, which right. is just an hour, minutes, yeah, forty-five yeah. minutes an hour away. Um, but in the same county, by right. boat, it would only have been about a half hour yeah. from Land's End yeah. to yeah. to Hilton Head. Um, so, uh, what? I mean, what were y'all thinking in Hilton Head when you get this phone call of, "Hey, do you uh, do you want to come hang out indefinitely in Birmingham?" Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're in Hilton Head, and, and things are going quite well. Believe me, um, I uh, had an interesting ministry. Hilton Head is largely a, a resort and retirement community, so the parish is you know, baby boomers and older for the most part. And they wanted me to help build a, a young people's ministry. And what I told them after being there for two months is young people here means anybody under the age of 55. So that was <laughs> that was my purview. Um, and so I had this, uh, in, uh, I think in March, a visioning weekend with a board that I built to, to create this children, youth, and families ministry. And it went really well, uh, really exciting. And we wrapped up Saturday afternoon. Tuesday, Andrew contacted me and said, I wonder what you think about coming on board at the Advent. And I said, shoot. Um, because the Advent's always, you know, I've known about it, and it's, you know, it's the same um, sort of theological circle. And it's just was too good of an idea to pass up, um, uh, even though things were going really well in Hilton Head. So we weren't looking for a new job. One found us. Um, and, uh, and, and we were really intrigued not only by the church, but also the city once we finally visited, and also the, the position that, as you described it. Um, so that, that sounded like a qualifier, as you described it. Um, uh, it's too late. Um, well, so. you know, on paper it says one thing. On paper it says one thing, and I said, I kept, I've asked Andrew like three times, tell me my real job description. And one thing he said that I think is cool is, if anybody ever complains to me and says, Matt's never in his office. I'll say, great, because that's his job, is to be out. Um, and, and I love it. You can do it without shame. Paul Walker would just come in the office and flip the light on and shut the door and then leave. Um, but but you, can, you can keep up, save energy. I leave a we lamp on. Yeah, we, we, know, we know what you're up to. Um, and so what, what excites, and I guess, Holly, you can answer this too. Uh, like what gets you all fired up in ministry? What is it about ministry that you're like, this is what we're really passionate and excited about? Um, you know, the, for me, there's a there's a complete package between the uh, you could call it pastoral care or um, pastoral interactions because I don't mean just like going to the hospital, but meeting with people and also the preaching. It's a full circle for me. Um, my, my preaching does not live in a vacuum. You know, I, I'm, I'm interacting with people all week and often. Uh, people come to me with great ideas, with the deepest heartaches and, and the, the, the biggest joys, you know, and, and, and uh, that kind of comes out in my preaching. And so uh, that excites me. So it's not that like I just like preaching or I just like pastoral care, but they're, they're one and the same for me. And um, I never know, you know, what's going to happen any day of work. Um, and yet I'm not terrified. Um, uh, I see some crazy things, I hear crazy things, and, and I love it. It's an honor that people share um, such things uh, with me that are going on in their life, and, and I, I'm able to hopefully shed some theological light when I can, at least say a prayer, you know. 
Um, and uh, not too many people, I think, have that um, honor and privilege. And I don't take it lightly. So right, right now, one of the big things on your plate, really maybe the biggest, is, is the 5 o'clock service and, and the potential that that has there. And so you, uh, you all probably already know this, but just so that it's out there, I mean, your, your, your primary job is to be the, the pastor and the preacher uh, for, for that service. Right. And um, one of the things that we see at the Advent is the Advent's kind of a safe place. Uh, what I mean by that is uh, a lot of people who, um, like, I, I'm, if you ever stick around the 11 o'clock service, it's very interesting to see the number of um, the look. I mean, you, you know the look. They're, they're skinny guys with beards but have a little bit of a belly because they're drinking really nice beer. And um, like the hipster guys, and they're wandering into our 11 o'clock service because, you know, they may not go to a place that doesn't look like a church on the outskirts of town, uh, but they're like, you know, that looks like a church. Maybe I can go in. And and the hard thing, though, is that they're really kind of into anonymity. Like they kind of like to go in and, and just get out. Um, but, um, I mean, that is that... I mean, that, that's kind of a ministry that, that we need here at the Advent, I think, uh, just because that's what the Lord's doing. But um, do you want to share any thoughts or, or feelings about how the 5 o'clock plays into that? Yeah, I mean, and the person that you described, you know, to, to a greater or lesser extent, I was that person, you know, 10 years ago, randomly walking into church wanting uh, to be anonymous. Let me tell you a story about that. Uh, in San Francisco, I went to this church one Sunday wanting to be anonymous, you know, and sat in the back, and the pastor says, are there any newcomers this morning? And, of course, of the, you know, 50 people there, I was the only newcomer because they knew. And I reluctantly rose my hand, and he says, you know, so glad you're here. We don't know why you're here. God's obviously, for some reason, brought you here, and we have a newcomer song for you. And all of, like, he... <laughs> Everybody stand up, you know, and like circled, they like zombies went around me. <laughs> and I was sitting there like. <laughs> and they sang this song that went like this. We don't care what church you come from as long as Jesus is your savior. Um, and I thought, well, I don't know if Jesus is my savior yet. Um, and uh, needless to say, five minutes later, when nobody was looking, I laughed. <laughs> So I would say that that is kind of the extreme radical hospitality that I will never And nobody in. wants, yeah. And nobody really wants, especially if you're kind of like an introverted atheist, you know, but for some reason found yourself in a church. Um, anyway, that, to say I understand the mindset, to, to a certain extent I think I still have that mind. Um, you know, the, Christianity is a second language. For, it's a foreign language. Um, I don't have that many Bible verses memorized. You know, don't come to me. I'm not the encyclopedia of Bible verses, you know. Uh, but what I do understand is, um, is that type of person who's either never been a part of the church or burned by the church. And yet, I think that the church is a vehicle for the, the greatest message out there. And so trying to find a way to, 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 um, to speak to them. And I think that the 5 p.m. is, a, is a, hopefully a great avenue for that, being a, a less formal environment. However, I think because just as you're seeing a lot of people coming to 11 a.m., a lot of folks like I was are looking for, you know, I don't know what to call it, ver something vertical, you know, something a little more traditional. Um, and so how can you balance those things? Um, 
and, and to say the least, have some real good news from the pulpit. Um, and, and, and part of that, too, I think also for me is going to be through relational ministry, just pounding the pavement um, out in the neighborhoods where the, these people are, uh, going to the restaurants where they go to, uh, going to UAB, perhaps, um, et cetera. Yeah. Um, y'all have heard me say, I think that the biggest crisis facing the church is, uh, is a leadership crisis more than anything, and it's a complete lack of creativity and thoughtfulness on the part of, uh, of the clergy. And one of the, I mean, that actually is, uh, to, to toot your horn, uh, one of the things I saw in Matt, uh, and the thing that really jumped off the page when it came to, uh, jumped off the page of his re- resume was the fact that he's won the New Yorker cartoon caption contest. Um, which actually says something uh, about yeah. creativity and, and thoughtfulness. Um, so uh, if you had one, you wouldn't be here. Um, <laughs> we, we only want winners. Uh, <laughs> um, all right, well, I'm going to open it up for questions. Matt and, and Holly, I mean, I feel like I should do like a two-parter with Holly. Um, yeah, uh, which, we, which we may do. Uh, I'm gonna have you. She's already just the most wonderful little evangelist for the Advent, and uh, and so I, I actually uh, have. Uh, she makes me look bad. So, um, questions, David Tanner. Talk about the theology at Yale and what you learn there, and how it fits with what we believe here. Thank you, Duncan. I, it's actually the only person in the room whose name I know, so <laughs> I'm just going to sneak that in there. Um, uh, you know, the, the theology of Yale, I don't think there's a theology of, at, at Yale Divinity School. It's definitely, it's an ecumenical place. You know, it swings left of center uh, for the most part in terms of the student body and, and, and some of the faculty. Um, uh, there are a lot of really loud voices, you know, and, um, but uh, Berkeley Divinity School is attached to Yale, which is an Episcopal seminary. Um, that was a marriage of convenience in the 1970s. Berkeley existed on its own um, in New Haven and then before that in Middlebury, Connecticut. Uh, but so by the time I got there, uh, you know, all Berkeley students were Yale students. Not all Yale Divinity students were Berkeley students, if you catch my drift. Um, and so uh, it was a multifaceted experience because I had, like, Berkeley, um, and we had our own chapel, and then I'd go to class at Yale. I had Berkeley classes, um, and uh, there's Yale's chapel, um, and you kind of sometimes it was like chapel, for example, you never knew what to expect. If you're someone who can't tolerate ambiguity, don't go to Marquand Chapel and um, at Yale, because you never know how the seating's going to be, um, what's hanging from the ceilings, and who's preaching, and, and whether or not they actually uh, believe in uh, who we think Jesus Christ actually is. Um, and I knew that going into it, and someone warned me, and I said, I know, uh, but I kind of find that exciting, um, uh, to be in a place where I'm not just going to be made a better version of myself, but to engage in argument, um, hopefully diplomatically. And I was really, I had to refine what it is that I thought, um, I believed, because I was constantly encountering a whole gamut of uh, beliefs. And there are also just a pocket of uh, students 
um, who are fairly traditional of all stripes. Some, a lot of them are Roman Catholic. I made a lot of really good Roman Catholic friends while there. And, uh, and we hung out and complained about all the, the wackos. That's what we would call them. Um, and some of those wackos are my, my greatest friends, though, actually. Still, I say that now um, with humor. Um, and uh, so it was, it was a good experience for me to sort of meet all types and, and learn how to engage with them diplomatically. My first year, people rolled their eyes at me, literally. One guy said, um, you know, where my, uh, my uh, ordination process resided in the Diocese of South Carolina, and he turned his back on me at a barbecue and walked away. And I said, golly, you know, this is like the first week. And, but by the third year, you know, I'm still Facebook friends with that guy, and he likes my stuff. <laughs> and... <laughs> And uh, people by my third year were like, who, uh, who totally did not agree with me would ask me to come to events and to provide my two cents, you know, to provide an alternate perspective or something. Um, so I don't know if that answered your question, just to say that it's all over the place. And uh, it wouldn't be a great environment for someone who wasn't entirely sure of what they believed. I saw uh, two people convert to Judaism while there. Um, I saw a lot of evangelicals convert to Roman Catholicism because they're looking for uh, authority, you know. Um, and I saw people who are more traditional Episcopalians kind of go a little bit off the rocker. Um, that didn't happen for me because I went in saying, no, I'm pretty sure about like the atoning work of Jesus, for example. Uh, you alluded you didn't find Leviticus very appealing. Is there a character or a book in the Bible that really grabs you and is part of your life? I I read the Psalms a lot, um, you know. So maybe David's a character. <laughs> uh, if if he if he wrote you know most of them, then yeah. And I you know I can relate to to his story of, of need for repentance um, and um, the Psalms sort of expressing the uh, emotions, all the emotions, you know, and, and giving us permission to lift all of those up to God and even to like get angry with God, to be honest with him. Um, so the Psalms, yeah. Matthew, I'm curious as a parent of somebody who's uh, your age, has your journey at all affected your parents' journey? It has. Um, yeah, I, I'd say that um, both my parents, especially my dad, you know, I have to check back in with my mom <laughs> um, just because I haven't talked to her about it in, in probably over a year, um, have something of a faith. Um, my dad is not entirely sure about Jesus Christ, but he goes to he goes back and forth between a Lutheran church and an Episcopal church. He's moved back to Minnesota, where he's from, and uh, his brother and uh, sister-in-law go to a Lutheran church, so he'll go with them, or he'll go to the Episcopal church across the street. And you know that excites me, and we talk a lot. You know, um, he he jokes he jokingly calls me Father Matt because <laughs> he's my father. Yeah. So that's funny. Um, <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, you know, so we'll, you know, we'll find ourselves in the car when he visits and have half-hour conversations, things like that. Uh, you know, my, my mom's questioning. 
when they come visit, don't sing them the newcomer song. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, hopefully um, something of this place will be a witness to them because they will visit eventually. We're both Holly and you vegetarians when you met. <laughs> so I don't know if you've heard the rumors. You're probably... <laughs> Being in the South and we're vegetarian, I think people are like, are they vegan? Oh my gosh, what's wrong with them? I had a roommate when I first moved to Washington, D.C., and she was a vegetarian and her boyfriend was a vegan, and they broke up because they couldn't, like, get it together. <laughs> uh, true story. <laughs> I, uh, you know, there are a lot of really judgmental um, vegans in particular, and there are a lot of judgmental uh, carnivores, too, by the way. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, so uh, just <laughs> just know that we have a sense of humor about our face. Read Romans 14, by the way. That's um, a helpful chapter, I think, for most vegetarians to read. Um, but we were uh, vegetarians when we met. She moved to Georgia to go to college and had to start eating meat because it was difficult. The, the guys who cooked at our sorority didn't get it. So, um, I, And then I moved to France and just wanted to partake in all the charcuterie, um, and so I, uh, so I started eating meat again. But then we had our first child, and, and Holly really uh, was thinking about health and, um, and how to lose weight, frankly, after the, the, the birth, and so we, we tried a vegetarian diet, and it stuck. Yeah, I actually asked them that in the, in the interview. I said, um, are, is this a dietary consideration or a moral conviction? And he said, oh, it's dietary, and I sort of just breathe a sigh of relief. Yeah. That was kind of no go. So. so if we go out to lunch, I'll order the Greek salad primarily. Yeah. Yeah. I was telling somebody, you know, like, somebody was worried about having Matt and Holly over the house. I'm like, well, if we have them over, I mean, they're vegetarians, so are they like chicken? I'm like, no. Like, um, well, what about like turkey meatballs on spaghetti? I'm like, no. Um, so it's a... Uh, but welcome, if, you, if you gave me, you know, a dish with meat, I will, I will eat it. That's my policy. And they, and I've heard that bacon is sort of the gateway drug. It's, it it's what gets a lot of people back in. I used to be obsessed with bacon, and then all of the hipsters started getting into it. And now I think it's just. Isn't that amazing? It turns to ash in your mouth when yeah. the moment people start getting. I felt the same way about John Mayer. Um, <laughs> so, okay. Um, all right. Well, Matt and Holly, uh, praise the Lord that you're here. So glad uh, to be here. Thank you for your witness, yeah. and uh, God bless you. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.